Through interviews from London to Los Angeles, I hope this podcast will inspire you to embrace your wild side. To keep up with my wild adventures, follow me at suzylindow.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Susie Lindau from Susie Lindau's Wild Side, and I'm here, and I'm going to interview Jim Cran today, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his wild side. So tell me, Jim, what does wild mean to you? Uh, something that's unusual, uh, especially thrilling, or, or uh, uh, the word unusual, I think, is part of it. Uh, yeah, that's what I would think. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. Yeah, pretty unusual things that kind of strike you as out of the ordinary or, uh-huh. you know, and I would imagine that you've had a lot of things that have struck you as out of the ordinary since you are how old, Jim? 101. 101. Wow, that born, is amazing. Uh, born July 3, 1916. And my dad tells me that uh, when I was born, of course, in 1916, there was no incubators or anything for anybody. But when I was born, I was blue, a blue baby, and uh, I wasn't. I meant I wasn't getting oxygen. And uh, of course, there was a doctor present, but all I had was aspirin. And uh, my grandma was there though, and uh, she recognized that I wasn't getting air, and uh, she got out some whiskey and gave me a shot of whiskey, and it lasted now 101 years. <laughs> so I, I can say that's uh, that's my wild side to start with. Wow. I started out with whiskey before I had milk. That is amazing. Not too many babies probably started off that way. <laughs> that is amazing. Not real. <laughs> no, no. That's, that's a crazy start to yeah. your life. But you've obviously had a very healthy life. Yeah. And, you know, here you are at 101. You probably have had a few wild things yeah. happen to you through your life. Did you ever go on an, any unusual uh, traveling excursions or anything like that? Well, or? We did uh, quite a bit of traveling later on, but um, uh, I would like to mention that um, uh, we grew up in western Kansas, and um, uh, one of the things that was significant to us in those days was the Dust Bowl days. And uh, it, it wasn't unusual to have it completely black at noon from the dust. And then uh, when the dust would clear up, maybe in two or three hours, the roosters would come out and crow. They'd think that's better than another, another day. Wow. But that was the start with uh, the Dust Bowl days. And of course, that was prohibition, uh, which was unusual too uh, at that time. And then. Uh, advanced on through through to the schools and uh, the military was the next thing that uh, was significant. I was drafted in the first group uh, out of Cheyenne County. Uh, Sixteen uh, men were drafted and I was in the first group that drafted and I was sent to Camp Robinson, Arkansas. And this is a, a year, uh, almost a year before Pearl Harbor. So, uh, when we were drafted, we were told we'd just be in a year. And uh, uh, of course, December 7th changed all that. And uh, uh, <clears throat> when the uh, Pearl Harbor event took place, 
uh, we were put on uh, troop trains and sent to California immediately because the, the Japanese uh, had sunk our Navy and uh, actually the Japanese had, could have come into California without much trouble. So they sent troops out there right away to prevent that. And, uh, and then, of course, I went to officer candidate school and, and got to be a lieutenant in field artillery. And um, I started out um, training with colored troops, which is a little unusual. Uh, in those days, colored troops could not have uh, black officers. They had to be white officers. And, of course, uh, President Truman changed that. That no longer is a problem. And uh, then in later life, I worked for the Bureau of Reclamation. I worked on dams. Uh, we built Bonnie Dam in eastern Colorado. And then I went over to Trenton Dam, which is just inside Colorado, uh, inside Nebraska from Kansas, uh, straight, straight north of my hometown. And I uh, was up at, uh, lived in McCook, Nebraska for five years working on Trenton Dam. And then. Uh, what did you do when you worked on the dam? What did you have to do? Inspect the work that's been designed. Oh, it's the main thing. Uh, part of the Trenton project was relocating the railroad 20 miles, the Burlington Railroad. And I was more involved with that than I was the dam with relocating the railroad at this time. Oh my gosh. And then when that was uh, completed, I was sent to a, an irrigation project at Sergeant, Nebraska, which is up in the Sand Hills near Burwell. And when we moved up there, it's uh, a little village of about a thousand. And uh, the roads weren't paved yet at that time. And um, we stayed in a, a hotel that was uncanny because it just had one bathroom for the whole the whole hotel. Oh my gosh, and, uh, that must have been a little crazy in the morning. When, <laughs> when our van arrived, we had got a house and when our van arrived, my wife said, don't unload, I'm not staying. Oh. <laughs> I can't stay here. This is just beyond my co comprehension. Oh. But actually, we did stay, and we enjoyed staying there very much and got good friends and uh, oh. remarkable uh, to be there at Sargent. And I had an, uh, an uncle, a, a great uncle that lived in Burwell, and we got to see him, and uh, that was a special event. And... Um, that I had a chance to come to, to the office in Denver and work in contract administration work. And so we took that and moved to Lakewood then, out near Federal Center in, uh, in, um, in the fall of 1956. Uh, of, uh, and so we've been there now over 60 years. And I've retired in 1920. And... Uh, Wow. So, did uh, did you ever, uh, when you had your children, was that kind of a wild event for you when well, you started yes, we having got, children? We got to Joanne Hall in 1943. Um, well, actually, I, I was discharged from the army in '43 because of the health problems. Health um, problems, and here you are. Here <laughs> Who would have thought? And uh, Joanne was born in '43, and then was. We took, moved to Wichita, worked on the B-29 program. Wow. And, uh, what did you do for that program? Worked on the equipment, what they call the equipment part of the B-29. Wow. And then when that closed, I 
I finished up my degree in civil engineering. Uh, and that's how you got into the dam uh -huh. building and all of that. I While we still lived in Wichita, I got my, finished my degree. And about that time, uh, the, the Bonnie Dam project was opened up and uh, we decided to, to move to take care of that because the, the Boeing uh, work was had slowed off because of the layoffs of the, of the B-29 program was canceled. And um, some of my friends did stay with B-29. I often think maybe I should have, but I don't regret. Uh, the Bureau of uh, Work has been really interesting for me. Oh, good. So we, uh, we built Bonnie Dam, which is the government campus in St. Francis, my hometown. Uh -huh. And while there in 49, John was born. And then when um, uh, the Trenton um, the Project opened up, we lived in McCook five years. Nebraska, and uh, that's where Jerry was born. Uh, oh, so did you move around a lot then? Uh, Is that, uh, when the kids were younger, then you, did you move around a lot then with the, with your the, jobs? And job, uh, yeah. The, and uh, so. Uh, so how did your wife like that? All that moving, well, she, she had good she accommodations. Really good. <laughs> she did. Really did. She was and, a trooper. And um, yeah. then uh, we got to, to um, Lakewood, uh, the kids liked the schools there, and, oh, okay. and uh, in fact, Joanne was in junior high, weren't you? Mm -hmm. Junior high, and uh, and went to Lakewood High School, and uh, John then, of course, went to uh, the schools, Lakewood schools, and Lakewood High School, and Jerry did too. Wow, that's and Joanne got her PhD in astrophysics, and John got his degree in medicine, and Jerry is a thanatologist. And the thanatologists are usually occupied, are, are hired by uh, big hospitals to play the harp for people that are very ill or actually in the process of dying. Oh. So that's quite an uh, interesting uh, story that she has to tell wow. of uh, people in the hospital and dealing with them in their final days. Wow, yeah. that's a special gift. Yes, yeah, special gift. So what do you think, you know, what do you attribute your, your children and all of their great gifts and talents and things, do you think you raise them in a certain way that well, we're, we're had them stretch? we've fortunate that way. They've all yes. been very successful. I haven't had to bail any of them out of jail. Well, that's a good thing. So that's a, <laughs> that's a kind of wild, because a lot of people yeah. don't get by with that. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, so did you, um, did you, have you ever, Traveled anywhere that was well, I mean, uh, on a vacation yes, uh, or any? After I retired, we uh, we went to the Oberammergau Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany, in 19, oh my gosh. Uh, 1920, and um, that was uh, 1960. Uh, 60, 60, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 1980, whatever I'm saying. Sure. 1980. Uh huh. Uh, saw that and uh, traveled to America. I was in London a while and over a girl and then in Paris a while. In fact, that picture was painted of oh, Joe uh, in Paris. Wow. In 1980. Wow. And we got down to Italy and and saw the Colosseum there and I understand the Colosseum is being refurbished. Oh. So that the, so the stages will work now. 
Wow. In the same way that they did during the days of the Romans. That's pretty amazing. It isn't as interesting to see that. Right. At a stage they could raise and the gladiators would fight to their death and they'd get all bloody and they lower the stage and bring the next stage for the oh feeding gosh. the Christians to the lions. And Can you even imagine that? Wow. <laughs> I'm glad I was born in today's uh, crazy times. Yeah. So, did, did you ever think of yourself as a risk taker? Did, have you ever done anything like? Well, you know, I took up flying. Oh, you did! I got, to, I got my pilot's license, oh, my commercial wow. single-engine pilot's license, and that was quite an experience. We did that uh, during the days that we were, worked at Bonnie Dam, oh. and uh, in fact, my dad had bought a little airplane, a little Cessna, and so all my my two brothers also learned to fly, and. Uh, they had, um, my brother Bob lived in Lauderdale, uh, was in a flying club that had a, a 180 Cessna, and my brother Richard that lived in St. Francis. Incidentally, my two brothers were MDs. Uh, he oh got a Cessna, Cessna, Beach, uh, Beach, it was like the Bonanza, only it was a, um, uh, not as quite as expensive as the Bonanza. But he flew it a lot, even flew it down to the Bahamas. Oh my gosh. And uh, he did more flying than the rest of us did. But my dad learned to fly too at age 60. Oh my which is gosh. Wow. And did you uh, did you learn to fly through the military or did you? No, I was. You did it on your own? On the GIs bill. I, oh. I forgot out of the Army. After you were done, and was that before you got your engineering? degree or no, after, that was after, after that my too engineering degree. oh my gosh so yeah. what compelled you to want to take to the skies you just well, wanted to see what it felt well, like and one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, uh, <clears throat> Lindbergh I think is one of the greatest men of all history uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh and uh, uh, the reason we know so much about Lindbergh is that uh, he came out to Bird City Kansas which is just 15 miles north of St. Francis where I grew up and uh, uh, he was hired by a man in the name of Brandy Rogers to fly his Jenny. In those days, you could buy a World War One Jenny for two hundred dollars. If it had a new engine, it would just cost five hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! And so Brandy Rogers had bought one, and it so happened he hired Lindbergh to fly it for him. And in those days, they they did what we call barnstorming. They oh. would go to neighboring towns and give people rides for like five dollars. Uh, you get a ride in an airplane for $5. And Lindbergh was, uh, he would do wing walking, he did parachuting, and um, to get his uh, to be sure he had enough fuel, he'd tie uh, uh, five gallon cans of gasoline on the wings and fly to the next town so he'd have gasoline. Oh and of course, God. that's about as risky as <laughs> anything in the world could be to fly an old Jenny with gasoline tied to the wings. Oh my and Lindbergh got by with it. Wow. But he was an amazing man. Uh, absolutely amazing. And then he got into the uh, uh, flying the mail service, you know. And, and uh, I think even twice he had to bail out because of bad weather and parachuted and saved. He got down and he, he finally had the chance to uh, fly this airplane, the Spirit of St. Louis, to Paris. Oh, right. And that was a big thing in those days. To, the man in Paris was offering 25,000, which would be like 25 million today, mm -hmm. to fly uh, an airplane to Paris from New York. And then we uh, built up the spirit of St. Louis by people in St. Louis, and uh, uh, he was, got by with it. 
and he didn't have a radio. He had a compass, but that's all he had. Had uh, nothing else to help him. Wow. And he managed to get to Paris, and that, that made him enormously famous immediately. Right. And uh, uh, later so, on, we find that Lindbergh was very successful as a civilian pilot in World War II. And, uh, Amazing. Did you ever get to meet him or see him fly? The thing about Lindbergh is after he completed his flight to Paris, he came back to the U.S. and made a goodwill tour of the U.S. Uh-huh. And so he, he let, let the people in Bird City know that he was going to fly over Bird City on his goodwill tour from Omaha to Denver. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we knew about it. I was 10 years old. Oh. And we went over to Bird City and stood on the football field and spelled welcome. And he flew oh. over us. I was in the spirit of St. Louis. And he flew down real low over us. He stuck his hand out, waved to us. Oh my uh, he gosh. circled us several times. He probably wasn't, it probably was more than 100 feet, but it seemed to me like he was right down over us. Oh my and, gosh, uh, how fantastic. Then he flew on to Denver. But that was a tremendous experience so, to see Lindbergh himself oh, yeah. uh, f- fly over us. Wow. Uh, so that must have really influenced your. Yes, your, uh, always interested yes, in airplanes. Your, inspired you to. Uh, we made get your lots license. of model airplanes. Oh, that's great. And uh, we got a chance to fly. We learned to fly. Wow. And my dad was that way too. He was very interested in airplanes. In fact, this airplane on the wall here, you'll oh, see yeah. it. Uh-huh. I'll show it to you. Uh-huh. Uh, flew into St. Francis in 1916, a Wright Flyer. And uh, I was three months old oh my gosh. when I was there. And, and of course, I saw it, but I don't remember seeing it. Right. But my dad took the picture of it. Wow. And I have the picture of that right flyer. So that's been a big part of your life. Big part of my life. Do you fly anymore? Are you done Oh, flying? I don't you're fly anymore. Yeah. And my just... dad flew until he, was, uh, until he was in his 80s. Oh but my he gosh. had to quit flying because he ground looped a CA plane through a fence. Oh. And <laughs> FAA made him, made him take. Uh, took his license away from him. Oh, my gosh. So he wanted to try to renew his license. And he he tried to, but they, of course, they wouldn't renew oh, his license. darn. You have to have good eyesight, I guess, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have heard something about that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So if there was something that you would still want to do that was that's considered wild, what would that be? Like, if you can... Well... Do you have anything that you have on the horizon uh, that you still uh, would like to to do? I think, uh, I, of course, I would like to have done more travel, mm-hmm. but we did get to, to go to Japan when Joanne oh, was in Japan, Japan for a year and spent wow. 18 days in Japan and oh, got to ride fantastic. the bullet trains and, and, and see the museum in Hiroshima. Oh my and, gosh, uh, what year was that? That was in 1990. 1990. And that was wow. a great experience too, to be in Japan oh, and, yeah. and uh, see the uh, the Hiroshima and the bullet trains, mm. and uh, now Joanne had a great year in Japan. And in fact, um, now of course the big thing was this eclipse. Oh my God! I wanted to mention the eclipse, and uh, yes. uh, actually one of the workers that Joanne knew while she worked in Europe come out specially uh-huh. to be with Joanne and see the the eclipse. A man from Japan and his wife. Oh my goodness! And, uh, so they were with us when we drove to Grand Island, Nebraska, to watch the eclipse. And uh, I think probably of, of all my experiences, it would be one of the, one of the biggest oh. eclipses. Just, uh, 
unbelievable in ranks with Lysine Lindbergh. Yeah, uh, that was pretty remarkable. You sit there, you're, you're out in the field and, and everybody's there with their cameras and taking pictures and and you wait and wait for the clips to take place and it gradually it closes over and finally there's just a little sliver of light left mm -hmm. and everything's fine and, and when that sliver closes, the, the, you're just stunned because the air suddenly drops 20 degrees and a strong breeze comes through, and you just uh, feel like you're watching creation. Wow. It's just a staggering uh, a feeling. Uh, no way to explain it. Yes. But all at once, the thing, when it goes, boy, it's just uh, unbelievable. I, I felt like it was so still. Uh -huh. Everything just stopped uh -huh. for, for those uh -huh. two minutes, and the air was so still. It was very otherworldly, I thought, uh -huh. and we were still at only 94% here. Yes. But the full eclipse is, is supposed to be stunning. And did from you what feel was, the cold air? Yes, it did, did drop. That. It did drop like 15 degrees or something. That's, that, um, that really kind of gets you the cold air yeah. uh, going with it, with the black, mm -hmm. when the black night come in, and here's this yeah. cold air. And uh, you think, my gosh, what's going on? Well, kind of like your story about the Dust Bowl, is that some people talked about how the crickets started to chirp because they thought it was nighttime uh -huh. when, when the eclipse happened. So uh -huh. that was pretty interesting. So I have to ask you, because you're 101 years old, you have to give us, you know, really young people <laughs> all your tips and tricks on, on having an, a, a good long life. Like, do you have any, you know, inspiring words or any well, tips you can give us? The, the main thing, the main thing I think in life is, is to want to live. That's a big part of it. And then I think uh, you got to use good judgment. Um, I never smoked. And the, the main reason I never smoked is because the, the high school coach wouldn't let you play any sports if you smoked. Oh. And so I learned early that uh, uh, the coach didn't like smoking was good for you. And I, I never got involved with smoking. So I think that's been a big help. I think uh, smoking can damage your lungs and uh, a lot of people smoke anyway, even though they know that. But that was a, a factor, I think. And, and a lot of it's luck. Uh, as you go down the road of, of life, you come to a lot of forks in the road. And now Yogi Berra says that. And, and you don't know which, which fork to take. And sometimes you take the right fork and sometimes you don't. And uh, you can take a fork where there's going to be a hurricane. Oh, or you can take a fork... Right. And uh, automobiles, too, are a, a big factor. I've been in two automobile accidents where the, oh, the cars were seriously damaged, one that was totaled. But I, I wasn't injured except my hand got crushed on the car that was, that was uh, totaled, and I had to have surgery on my hand. But otherwise, I've got luck on the automobiles and the airplanes, too. Uh, I know there's been chances with the airplane that you could... Uh, I uh, got into real trouble and uh, you get a little careless and you just do that. And, uh, but it's just, it's, you I gotta live and and you, you say, I hope you just get by, that's all. That's right, you have to take some chances, have I guess. You have to live, you have to yeah. step out the door. Yes. Do you have any like routines or or things that you like to eat or drink or you know anything that you uh, well, share? I, 
Of course, I uh, I would like to be heavier, and I've been so thin my whole life, and I, I don't know why I've never been able to gain much. But I think it's by my grandma's whiskey, probably that did that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I've never been able to gain weight like I wanted to. But uh, that's kind of everybody else's opposite problem. But I've survived uh, cancer. Oh, several you have? cancers and uh, what cancers did you well, have? Well, prostate cancer and a melanoma on my nose. Wow! Practically removed my nose. Yeah, it looks good though. Uh, they got it rebuilt pretty well. Yeah. But wow. uh, things like that. Uh, I had some little cancer on my ear. They got uh, wasn't too bad, but had it removed. And wow. so there's a constant problems, health problems uh, to be aware of and. And that's part of keeping going is to be aware of your health problems. And take care of yourself. Take care Go of in yourself. for those routine examinations. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. So, do you have like a special treat that you that you like, like ice cream at night or oh, something? Uh, <laughs> I tell you, right. Of recent years, I like what they call insure. Oh, insure. insure. That's supposed to be really good. For I always you. have a, a yeah. glass of insure every night. Yes. Oh, you do. Wow, uh-huh. that's like a huge shake full of vitamins I think uh-huh. it's got everything uh-huh. in it oh that's good uh-huh. I feel like that's important uh, that insurance has been important to me yeah uh-huh. and maybe having great relationships with family yeah, yeah his great, daughter Joanne is great, here great family yeah can't, uh, can't believe how fortunate we've been with the kids uh, yeah uh, all of them only one only one of the grandchildren had a problem that was Cassandra she was born premature oh. Oh, and yeah. uh, had to be in an incubator six oh. months. Oh, my gosh. Uh, three months, was it? Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> she's really doing fine now, but oh, she's been good. a concern. Yeah. But um, she's uh, got to be a minister, an ordained minister. What? An Unitarian <laughs> a Universal Church. Oh, my gosh. And she now has that? a position. Oh, in, she has that. And, uh, oh, I thought it was another thing that you, another hat that you wear. And okay. she got to be a minister and, uh, oh. and as an uh, uh, ordained minister in Macon, oh. Georgia right now. Oh, that's great. And she just, just recently had her second baby. Wow. So and, she's uh, another survivor and, in the uh, family. Her yeah. first baby was a boy baby they call Francis. And he's normal, and we, we, we was afraid uh, because oh, of her yeah. condition uh, it might not work out. And then uh, she just now had a baby girl, and very normal. Oh, great! You have to show her the picture, Joanne. Yeah, and, that's uh, great. So that's that's been her biggest concern is Cassandra's uh, health. But uh, mm-hmm. she's a fighter. Huh? So do you consider yourself a worrier, or are you Oh, yeah, like, I'm a big worrier. You're a worrier, oh, and you're 101. Yes, like, how do you survive? I so they always say stress kills, but obviously not. You know, my, my doctors tell me that I have high anxiety. Oh, really? Uh, almost suicidal anxiety. Wow. Yeah. And you just uh, uh-huh. you just can overcome it. And yeah, you just get to work you just on it. wake up the next day and uh-huh. go at it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Did you have anything else you wanted to add about your uh, wild life? I think it's been really interesting. I want you to be sure to see the picture of that airplane. I will. I'll a 1916 take a airplane. I'll be, be sure to do I, that. Oh, I wanted to tell you about oh, yes. this special event of Olga Kern that I met. Uh, oh. Incidentally, oh, I wanted to tell you, too, about Rachmaninoff. Oh, Sergei yes. Rachmaninoff gave a concert in, uh, in the February of 1937, and oh, I got my. to attend it. Wow. And the story about this is 
Uh, this was in Lawrence, Kansas, and my brother Bob was in school at Lawrence, Kansas University, and I was in school at Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas, about 70 miles, and my roommate was uh, uh, from St. Francis, and he had a motorcycle. Oh. And my roommate, I talked him into taking me in February to this concert. My dad, my John, or Bob had tickets for it. And the reason I was interested in Rachmaninoff was I'd taken piano lessons and played the Rachmaninoff's Prelude and C-sharp minor and knew about it. And I was so enthralled with Rachmaninoff, the, the master pianist and composer. And here I had a chance to hear him. I was 20 years old. But I got my um, got to go because my roommate had a motorcycle in February, and we rode it down to down to uh, Lawrence, and got to hear Gosh. Sergey himself. And when he come on the stage, it's just amazing. His his presence was just a, a tremendous presence, wow. and of course his his technique is amazing. And now recent years, we've got to hear Olga Kern. Uh, she grew up in uh, in Russia, and at one at the age of 20, she won the Clyburn concert, ten, concert te, uh, contest in uh, mm -hmm. Texas, and um, she's been in the Boulder now three years in a row, and uh, Joanne's managed to get tickets to, to her uh, every year, and uh, the thing is, I had the original of this. This is a copy. I had the, the original, yeah. and I got Joanne to see if they, if she'd be interested in having that original from Sergei Rachmaninoff, oh. and of course she was, and yes. so we got to go on stage and and present her that original con. Uh, oh, you uh, gave her your copy. My copy. Oh my so gosh. all I have left with my copy. Oh, and you just but Xerox, she had the what original. I'm she's here got, is the Xerox she's got copy the original of the, copy, of the and she gave me a. She uh, signed my, gave me a happy and birthday, she gave signed you a it. beautiful poster. And then uh, these pictures, oh, John. Isn't that so nice? Oh, yeah, I beautiful I had my pictures, pictures taken with her. Look this at that. This was in the 100, and this is the 101. Oh, my gosh. You don't look a day over 80, 85. And that, that's been a big thrill to, to have, um, to meet Olga Kern. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that's that's really one of the big big things in my life. So do you still look forward to things like that? Do you, do you set up, you know, like concerts and things that, yeah. uh, so you have things to look forward to, right? Yeah. So you yeah. have, your calendar gets filled up. Yes, we, we enjoy concert, or con, uh, uh, the piano concerts and orchestra concerts. And, do you go to CU games anymore? Are you going to go we, this we fall? We went to a lot of them. Uh, yeah? Anymore, the only one I've been going to lately is Olga's. Yeah. <laughs> Olga's well, that's concert. great. Well, great. Uh, well, thank you. It was so nice to meet yeah. you. And uh, yeah. and thank you for telling us about your wild side. Oh, you bet. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Production and musical score of The Wild Side by Kelly Lindau. Visit my website at suzylindau.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or tweet me about the show, at Susie Lindau, and I'll follow you back. If you enjoyed The Wild Side, be sure to tell your friends, family, or anyone who will listen. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks so much for listening.